Shalom, and welcome to Christians with Torah, the Beit Tehila Community Podcast. We believe the Torah is relevant for our lives today, God's teachings and instructions. You may very well be part of the first generation to be born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have the Torah, a Christian with Torah. Join us as we honor the living God through the study of His Word, topical conversations, and interviews with special guests. Please welcome our hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to Christians with Torah. This is your co-host, Ryan Cabrera, and I am in Studio A with Pastor Nick Plummer. Hey, Pastor Nick. So great to be here. Man, we are coming off of a Torah portion high from the last two Torah portions, and it's just like, man, when I thought it couldn't get any better, boom, here we are starting the book of Exodus, man. Exciting times that we live in. Um, You know what else is pretty cool? We've got a bunch of listeners from Gibraltar, so like little shout out for Gibraltar. That's right, the southern tip of Spain there, but I guess a British colony. Yeah, something like, you know, you were talking about the video. I've seen it, like, the, on the edge of the water yeah, there. Yeah, Rick Steves, city. Europe. He's in Gibraltar. Ah, Rick Steves. He goes to Europe a lot. Yeah, Rick Steves, Europe. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, the uh, we want to give you guys a shout-out. We're thankful that you guys are listening over there in Gibraltar. Um, I want to give you uh, my email address. It's ryan, R-Y-A-N, at twopraise.net. We just want some feedback. We want to know, hey, you're in Gibraltar. Are you enjoying the podcast? Is it leisurely listening? Is uh, you know what, what? What are your beliefs? Can we pray for you? What's Do your you guys background? have a, what's, your, what's your story? Yeah. Who we are hear, you? We want to hear your story. Who are you? Who, who, wow, who, who. you threw in a song before I did. I did. So, yeah. so what we do, and you know what, that goes for everybody listening. You know, uh, obviously those of you that are, are part of the community here at Beit Tehila, we talk to you, we see you every day. But those of you that uh, are listening from around uh, the United States and around the world, uh, we just want to know who you are. So send me an email, let me know, and uh, we'll answer any questions you have, pray for you, all of that good stuff. And that way we can just all kind of feel more connected and a part of, uh, of this greater movement that we have going on. Also, quick announcement, uh, this Monday, the 20th, uh, we have Mr. Aaron Katzoff coming from Israel, um, and he has some awesome testimonies about going to uh, the Sudan and Uganda, Kenya, Ethiopia, and other places in Africa to bring uh, you know, Jewish people uh, out of Africa and help them make Aliyah and come back home to the land of Israel. And so very cool stories that he has. He also has a vineyard, and uh, uh, right after he comes here, I might be headed over, and we might be pruning his vineyard. Now, I don't know if, if I'll be actually pruning his vineyard while I'm there. but it might um, be later in the year. Yeah, who knows? I don't even know. There's so. the three pruning seasons, I guess. Or the well, three, yeah, there's like a three month. Three opportunities Yeah, to three prune. opportunities to go, yeah. So, uh, yeah, and you know what? Um, I'm very excited about going to Israel, by the way. I mean... <laughs> I'm not going to rub it in too much to no, you, you know. I am happy for you. Yeah, I oh, know. Yeah. I know you are. It's and all over but the crime. It is all over but the crime. But I'm excited to go, um, and hopefully I can uh, get some content while I'm over there to share with you guys and, and keep you guys up to date. So we're going to move into the Torah portion now. We are studying Shemot, which means names. Uh, it's also the name, the Hebrew name of the book of Exodus is Shemot. Um, and so this begins at the beginning of Exodus with uh, chapter 1 and verse 1 and ends in chapter 6 and verse 1. And just looking at the time frame here, when you really want to think about it, we're talking 4,000 years before Christ. Wow. That they go down to Egypt. Now they're coming out, which Two- would give us 3,500 years before Christ. 
basically. Wow. Yeah. So that's that's what's really before incredible. Christ. Before no, Christ. No, no. Two thousand years before Christ, right? Well, yeah. Well, I'm just saying that before us, the five four thousand. Right. Years. Yeah. So totally uh, from adding from our time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. To, to the events of them being in Egypt and everything, but but in, in Exodus, it, it's a, a fascinating uh, read here. Uh, Exodus is a Greek word which means departure, and of course is uh, of course derived out of the. Uh, uh, it says right here uh, from the. Uh, it says out of. Or it's this particular word, Hebrew word title, uh, and it means these are the names of. Uh, the book of Exodus describes the deliverance of the Israelites from Egypt, their journey to Mount Sinai, the events that occurred during their sojourn there. So, yeah, you can kind of break that all down in there. It means departure. Yeah, Exodus uh, coming means out. Departure, yeah, yeah, coming out party. And uh, we know even in our culture today, coming out is not a good indication. But the thing is, we have, of course, this Torah portion, which is Shemot, its names. Exodus chapter 1, 1 through chapter 6 and verse 1. And right out of the gate here, we, of course, have the uh, uh, the following children uh, of Israel came into Egypt. It was Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And, of course, 70 souls came from the loins of Jacob. So that was their family that he had grown that moved down into Egypt. And of course, the uh, the land of Egypt was filled with the children of Israel. It was filled with the children of Israel. In Exodus chapter one verse eight, it says, "Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph." Wow! Check this out. Now this is interesting. Just to, to let you know that the, the the exchange of an administration or monarchy or a kingdom, you know, just like going from Obama to Trump, night to day difference, total different administration. But I want to read this uh, right out of the uh, Keyword Study Bible. This is actually the commentary here. The expression arose over Egypt could better be translated arose against Egypt. This probably refers to the invasion of the Hyksos, a people related to the Hebrews who conquered Egypt. The, Hy the Hyksos were never numerous, so the growing nation of Israel posed a threat to them. Interesting. This threat ultimately led the Hyksos rulers to enslave the Jews. When the Hyksos were later driven out, all of the hatred which the native Egyptians had for foreigners was focused on the Hebrews. Interesting. Ah. Because the native Egyptians also feared they would become too numerous, they made the Israelites' uh, servitude more harsh and attempted to control the population by killing the male babies, Ryan. Wow, yeah. what an interesting historical observation here. Uh, this particular leader did not know Joseph. Of course, uh, the king of Egypt, he feared that the children of Israel would multiply and join Egypt's enemies to fight them. Boy, there's some vain imaginations. Yeah. The old accusations, you know, and, and, and things that are even happening now, uh, you'll see where uh, countries are trying to gain other countries and, and to be their proxies whether it's Russia or China, to expand communism, you know, in that form or fashion. Uh, and so once again, uh, you know, you'll see some uh, uh, alliances being formed even today in the Middle East. You know, you'll see like Russia and Iran and Syria. Yeah. You know, one of the you know. interesting things about this is you know, God called the Jewish people and the Israelites in this case, to be separate and set apart. Um, he even designed a way for them to have their own area to live. So they live in Goshen, right? They're separated geographically from the other peoples, um, and they're separated ideolog uh, ideologically, right? They're, they're monotheists, and the other right. group is, is pagan, you know, theists, uh, polytheists. And, you know, because of this, they didn't get assimilated. Now, if God would have sent, you know, Israel 
into, or the Israelites, into uh, Egypt as a family, and they would have just moved into Cairo or, or Ramses or whatever you know city there was at that time. They would have assimilated into the general population, and you would have eventually not been they able to tell the difference. They would have lost their identity. Correct. But because they're separate, and because they're flourishing while being separate, they become a target. And you can see this pattern happen throughout history to the Israelites and to the Jewish people um, today, that when they you know, whatever community they're in, they kind of create a bubble around themselves, right? Whether it's in Brooklyn or Miami. Right, they protect or, their communities. Or in, or in Germany they, and they, they Poland. Preserve, they preserve their faith, their, their identity, their cultural standing. Right, and so when they yeah. do that, um, it, it just kind of puts them all in the same place. And, and just by, by virtue of that, they, it, they become uh, a target. So it begs the question, you know, why? Well, Interesting. at the same time, God wants them to be separate, but he also doesn't want them to be persecuted, amen? Right, so now they're becoming very numerous. And of course, the king of Egypt set taskmasters over the children of Israel, and they built the treasure cities of Python and Ramses, you know? And of course, the more the children of Israel were afflicted, the more they multiplied and grew. You know, think about it. The more the children of Israel were afflicted, the more they multiplied and grew. You know, it's kind of like with the church. You know, when you persecute the church, it grows, it matures. It realizes what's important. It begins to do spiritual exercises, you know. Right. It comes out of complacency and everything. But the Egyptians made the lives of the children of Israel bitter. They really did. And uh, and it's going to go on to talk about some other characters here in this particular opening chapter. Uh, the names of the two Hebrew midwives with Shifra, which means beautiful, and Pua, which means mouth. And that's found in Exodus 1.15. So there's two Hebrew midwives that are called out that are, that are named or uh, mentioned. Shifra, which means beautiful, and Pua, which means mouth. Now, the king of Egypt wanted the Hebrew midwives to kill all the males born to the Hebrew mothers, but keep alive all the females. Wow. You know, I'm, I'm not sure the, the exact policy of China uh, one child per family or something. I don't know exactly, but they have laws in China uh, against having more than one child. So uh, think about that. And God says, go and multiply. And here's Chinese policy or the China policy. Only You can only have one child or wherever the limit is, but it totally goes against God. Cause he, what did he say? Go and replenish the earth, go and multiply. He told that to Adam and Eve. He told that to Noah, uh, to replenish her, to fill it with his seed. And so here we are, we're in Brandon, Florida, the righteous seed doing a podcast. This is incredible. Uh, now the Hebrew midwives allowed the males that were born to live because they feared God. They feared God. They said, we're not going to carry out this order. This goes against my beliefs and, and what, what, you know, my fear of the Lord. And of course they had to come up with some kind of an excuse, right? Cause Hey, right. what's going on here? You know? So the excuse that the Hebrew midwives gave to the King of Egypt for why the male children were alive was that the Hebrew mothers gave birth before they could get to them. They're like, they're already popping out. They're coming out They're They don't even need us. They're going into labor and the, and the sons are coming out. The children are coming out real quick. And of course the people multiplied, they waxed mighty. And because the midwives feared God, it says he made them houses. So somehow they were blessed by being obedient yeah, to favor. God and not to Pharaoh. Isn't right. that a cool thing? You know, well, how am I going to get this or that if I don't obey the government in this area? Well, what if it goes against God? Well, he made them houses. I thought that's the coolest thing. It is pretty cool. So he's upset now. So all of a sudden now there's this policy. Pharaoh then charged his people to throw the sons in the river born from the Hebrew mothers, but keep the daughters alive. See, the enemy is always wanting to kill the seed of the male, of the man. Because in Genesis 3.15, there's enmity between the two seeds, between the woman's seed and, of course, Satan's seed. 
So Satan can enter somebody's heart like a Pharaoh and say, this is how the Messiah is going to come. So the devil already knows that they're going to be there for 400 years and then they're going to be delivered out because it's a prophecy. He knows these things. You know, he didn't fully understand the redemptive plan of God by coming in the flesh yeah. and doing those things. He did not understand that. So he decided, hey, if I could just kill the Messiah on the cross, I win. But he didn't realize that that was all part of God's plan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, gotcha. you know, and think about it. I mean, Satan was the uh, chief archangel. I mean, he was higher up than Michael the archangel. Yeah. Uh, he was up there. You know, he was a cherub. And so it's interesting that even as we look today, uh, over this crazy world, you know, uh, God has children and the enemy's trying to kill God's children now because the seed has already come in the person of Yeshua and he, of course, fulfilled his purpose. Any last thoughts on that, Ryan, before I get you to read Exodus chapter 2? Um, no, I'm really excited to get into Exodus chapter 2. I will say that, um, you know, we just... But look we, at abortion today. That's you know? what I'm saying. We can't imagine, right? It's shedding of innocent blood. What what this is like, right? This that's is horrible. So blatant, and you and you say right that it can't happen today. And I got three sons. They were the first three children that were born. Were three sons. Yeah. And then the four daughters. And I'm thinking, what would it be like with without my sons? Yeah, it'd be weird. It's sad. Yeah, there'd be no Esther the musical. I know. It's just sad. There would be a lot of things going on. That's true. You know, we haven't given a plug for Esther the musical yet. I don't we, think we on probably the should wait on that. You think so? Yeah, we'll wait on that. Okay. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. So here we, we have, of course, uh, in Exodus chapter 2, Ryan's going to read verses uh, 1 through 9, because here comes a great deliverer. Moses is born, and we're going to definitely read that portion of Scripture. Uh, once again, the public reading of Scriptures, whatever you speak comes towards you. Remember that. Whatever you speak comes towards you. And so we're going to be speaking Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Moses is born. Moshe's coming. And there went a man of the house of Levi, and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes, and daubed it with slime and with pitch, and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river banks. And his sister stood afar off, to wit what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call uh, to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. That's got to be one of the greatest wow. parts of any story, man. You know, that, that she thinks she's going to lose her son, right? So she's, you know, throwing a Hail Mary, right? <laughs> right? So to speak. And uh, she puts him in you know, this, this basket and tosses him down the river. And so her thought is, you know, he's going to get tossed into the river anyways. This is the only chance that he has. Maybe somebody way down the river will find him. But God has... premeditated. A... Maybe she had some inclination about Pharaoh's daughter or something, or, or the house of Pharaoh, or something maybe. For no, that you know matter. what I think? I think that God has a sense of humor. Pharaoh makes the order, right, to kill all these baby boys. And what does he do? 
he puts this baby boy right in his house. He says, you know what? You're going to raise him. And you know, he's going to be your grandson. Even in the, in the book of Acts, I believe it says that there were believers in Caesar's house. You know, it, it's interesting, Ryan, because here's the thing. We take the scriptures literally. So we yes. have to lay this out. First of all, uh, it's very interesting because we know that Moses is the youngest of the three. So yeah. Miriam is literally the firstborn. Right. And then there's Aaron, the middle child. Remember the golden calf incident? Yep. Watch out for those middle children. Uh-oh. And then, of course, Moses was the youngest. I'm the youngest. so Yeah, and you're the youngest. So, so what stood out to me as I was kind of looking this over, I thought, this is very interesting, you know, because uh, what tribe did the father and mother uh, come from who hid their son for three months? Levi. Levi. They're both Levites. Now, here's the interesting thing. Think about this now. So we've all been in bondage. They're in bondage. Yeah. So they don't know what freedom is. No, they they don't, don't even have the right instructions. They're under an Egyptian culture. They're under the Abrahamic covenant that, hey, we're the seed, but now what? Yeah, but now what? what? are we supposed to be doing, right. right? And I find this interesting because the lawgiver will be from the tribe of Levi. So if you want to, I'll, I'll have you go somewhere real quick. I want to throw this little plug in here because I think it's very interesting for all of you to know something. Uh, the book of Leviticus records the duties of the Levites, but I want Ryan to go to Malachi chapter 2 and read verses 4 through 9. Uh, once again, the book of Leviticus records the duties of the Levites. Chapter 2 verse... Yeah, Malachi chapter 2 verses 4 through 9. All right. This is about the priesthood and what they were supposed to be doing. And of course, in, in, the, in, the, in the prophet Malachi, it was the last written prophet, uh, like for four or 500 years before the New Testament. Uh, but check this out. I want you to check out what, what God's plan was originally for Levi. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. So what God set up is is the clergy. He set up the priesthood, Ryan, for people to go to the priest when they had a problem, they had an issue, they need something resolved, they need to be taught the law, you know, they had a skin affliction. Matter of fact, the priests were the first dermatologists in the Bible, you know, even when it came to leprosy. And so what's happened, Ryan? Uh, today the clergy is defaced, ridiculed, made fun of. Some of the clergy has gone bad and corrupt. They, 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 you know, just because you're a televangelist doesn't mean you're corrupt, but that's what they, they liken it to is the name it and claim it group and all that other stuff. Blab it and grab it. And of course, you know, what can you do now? So now if you have a problem, you can go to alcohol, drugs, just have your own opinion, just try to get by. But God set up the priesthood to help the people. And that's just like my role as a pastor as clergy is to be a spiritual leader, to help people, to coach people, not to scold people, not to berate them or browbeat them, but to actually say, hey, I'm here to help you. What can I help you with? Where are you at? Let me help you. And that's the cool thing, you know. Matter of fact, I was reading in this one book, I I thought it was fascinating. The definition of a true elder is one that takes care of his personal life, uh, then his married life, then his children's lives, then he can help the church. You know, a lot of times, you know, people's lives are out of order and how can they possibly help you know, the church body, if their own 
personal life is not in order. But I want to remind everyone that Moses is, of course, a Levite. And, and, and this is where it just develops into an incredible story. When the mother of the son could no longer hide him, she put him in an ark and placed him among the reeds by the bank of the river. Uh, the young boy's sister watched him from the riverbank to see where he would go. Of course, the daughter of Pharaoh came down to the river to wash herself with her maidens. And of course, the, uh, the sister of the boy uh, asked Pharaoh's daughter if she should go and get a Hebrew nursemaid, and she agreed. I love this. The young maid went to get her mother, and Pharaoh's daughter even paid her wages to nurse the child. That's my favorite part. The she mother got paid. <laughs> yeah. Was, it was the actual mother of that child. Yep. That's called favor. That's called divine appointments. That is incredible. And so, you know, the name that is given to the young boy when he became the son of Pharaoh's daughter was Moses, or we would say Moshe, which is not Hebrew. It means drawn out. So he was drawn out of the water. He was picked. He was chosen. Moshe was chosen. And of course, when he was, when he was grown and he saw one of the Egyptians beating his brethren, uh, what was his response, Ryan? Uh, well, he went and killed the guy. And yeah, he buried him in the sand and hit him in the sand, you know, and uh, and here he is. So it says right here that he saw uh, Egyptians beating his brethren. Uh, and so when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. Now, you know... Man, being found out, that's no fun. But here's the thing, though, right? Here's, here's the question, and I would love to pursue this. Here's the question. When did Moses find out he was not an Egyptian, but a Hebrew? You know, this goes back, Ryan, to the early church, or the Christians. Think about it. We were all at Mount Sinai at one time. When God made these covenants, we should have been there. Matter, matter of fact... Moses actually even says in Deuteronomy, I'm speaking on behalf of the Torah for those that are here and those that are not here. Right. So we think, well, I'm just a Christian. No, you're more than a Christian. Mm -hmm. You are a son and daughter of God or a son and daughter of the commandments. Think about it. And so with that comes this responsibility. So, so what do you think, Ryan? When, when did you think he found out that, that he was a Hebrew? I mean, he doesn't really say, even his observation that Egyptians beating his brethren... I mean, when when did he find out? He had to have some kind of a revelation. Well, it's a good question. Um, you know, I we, you know we've adopted um, a child. She's only two years old right now, but it's on my mind about when is she going to know? You know, at what point and how do you you do you just you know break it to her one day and just tell her, or, or what do you do? And so, oh yeah, being a foster parent, right? And so you know, it's interesting how you know obviously that's what's happened here is that uh, Moses is adopted into Pharaoh's house as Pharaoh's grandson because his Pharaoh's daughter you know brings him into the house. So it makes you wonder, like, if, if he knew all along, if it was just like a known fact, like, hey, he's he's a Hebrew, right. or if this was something that he didn't find out. Because we don't on. we don't know. We, we really don't, don't know. We, it's funny. It's like it's like Yeshua. We don't know his childhood. Yeah. We don't know how he was brought up or raised up. You know, this is interesting. You know, so uh, so Moses, when he realized that his own brother knew that he had killed an Egyptian, and of course Pharaoh wanted to slay him. Now the words out. It's kind of funny, you know. It's like secret sins, whatever. They're they're not really secret. God sees everything. God knows everything. So anyway, uh, so he, he fled to the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Uh, and of course, you know, this is an interesting observation. Well, well, here. well. Well, because what, what happened is when Sarah died, Abraham married, he, he married Keturah. Yes. 
and she bore him six sons, and one was Midian. Right. Now, today, the land of Midian, believe it or not, everyone, is the land or the geographical area of Saudi Arabia. So very interesting. But he sat down by a well, and we know that even even in some examples here of Eliezer's finding a a wife for his master Isaac through Abraham, um, he goes to a well. Uh, And, of course, Jacob, uh, he goes to a well, and, of course, he finds Rachel. Yep. Gives her a kiss. Ooh la la. And, um, and then, of course, last but not least, in John chapter 4, verse 6, we have the Samaritan woman at the well with Yeshua. Yep. So very interesting observation that there's a good place to find a wife is at the well. And, uh, and this is a deep subject. I'm telling you, this is a deep <laughs> I subject. I see what you did there. You like I that? I see what you did there. Um, <laughs> and so once again, you know, uh, Moses is going to be in the land of Midian. And of course, the, the story develops. The priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water to fill the troughs for their father's flock. And of course, once again, this is what you have. You have, of course, the the, the Midianites. Uh, the shepherds drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped the daughters to water their flock. Uh, and of course, uh, we know that an, an interesting observation from last night, based upon a consensus of the group. In regards to this particular Torah portion, Exodus, Shemot names, um, uh, Moses believed in justice. He believed in justice, you know, and he practiced it. Yeah, he you did. Know, he did. It, and it, the good example was, of course, you know, uh, defending one of his brethren, even if it involved murder. Uh, and then, of course, standing up to, you know, to, to be like a to these shepherds you know, like at an the attorney. Well. Why are you guys fighting, blah, 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 you know. And yeah. Tra- he's like a lawyer, you know, yeah. Yeah, a mediator. Sure. He already had the skill. You could see that. You know, if a mediator does a good job, nobody likes the mediator. That's true. Because <laughs> somebody's trying to get a deal. That's right. Uh, yeah, I've been involved in that. So anyway, what's interesting is the fact that, of course, he goes to the well and he sees what these shepherds are doing to the to the Jethro's. I would call them a shepherdess. Uh, that's actually what Rachel was, a shepherdess. It's a female shepherd. Isn't that cool? And so once again, we can see where he's, he's at this well and he actually stands up for them and defends them. And of course, Raul, the father of the seven daughters, gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses for a wife. So now he's got a new life. Once again, it's funny, you know, he finds out, you know, he's a Hebrew, but he's on the run. He's a fugitive. And it's kind of like with, with, with Joseph, you know, he knew who he was. He tried to get rid of all this stuff. And I love this storyline. This just like hit me in the face. Uh, Moses named his first son Gershom. Hmm. which means a stranger here. Yeah, because Ger means stranger, right? Yeah, Gershom, a stranger here. Now, Joseph's first son was named Manasseh, which means forgetting. Mm. So you're actually like vicariously living out through your children where you're at and what your name is. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah, It's kind of interesting, you know? And so once again, just, just to think about that, and of course... Joseph was so pleased with his new role and everything, being second in command under Pharaoh, by the way, in Egypt. Isn't that interesting? Egypt always represents the world. You always go down to Egypt, but up to Jerusalem. But very interesting. So Gershom, a stranger here, you know, so he has this son. He says, I'm a stranger here. So he even he even knew back then that he wasn't where he needed to be. He's just fought out of place. But while Moses was in the land of Midian, of course, uh, the king of Egypt died. Mm. He died. You know, it's interesting. You know, when somebody dies, somebody lives. Yeah. You know, you can see in the Arab Spring, this whole event uh, historically playing out. Uh, Some of these rulers like, uh, you know, in Egypt or in Libya, uh, Gaddafi, you know, Mubarak, these people, they were were in office for 30, 40 years. Yeah. And now with with that, cutting, cutting the head off the snake, they say, 
all of a sudden all hell breaks loose. Well, yeah, there's a vacuum for power. Just like even now with that Iranian general. Yeah. You know, he, they said he was like second in command under the Ayatollah. Well, and he was running and his deputy all too that was proxies. with him was yeah. taken out. Yeah, and you know, they even say the same thing about Saddam Hussein, right? As evil as he was, you know, he kept the stability in that region. Right. And then, it's interesting, you know. Yeah. And so, so you know, the thing is, uh, so God heard the groaning of the children of Israel and remembered the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the question is, Ryan, uh, what covenant did God remember and how relevant is it for today? Mm, man, that's a great question. So um, some verses that were referenced here is uh, Genesis 12, uh, 1 through 3. You can read a few of those verses if you want. 15, 18. And so, so he's, he's reflecting on the Abrahamic covenant. That's exactly Which right. is unconditional. Oh, it's because God walked through the pieces. He did. He made the covenant. He put Abraham to sleep. He said, you know the what? The greater vessel versus the lesser vessel. Lord uh, is the greater vessel. Obviously, thank you for that oh, yeah. last part. Yeah, he doesn't break covenant. We do. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. All right. So chapter 12, verse 1 says, uh, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show you. Uh, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So it's an awesome, awesome promise there. Um, we jump over uh, to chapter 15 and uh, verse 18. I'm going to read verse 18 real quick, but then I want you guys to also see something else here. Uh, in verse 18 it says, In the same day the Lord made covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy siege have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. So obviously the land was the first promise given to uh, Abram. And the people, his descendants, are promised this land. But they don't have it yet, right? They're uh, in, in Egypt. But here's what's cool. God tells Abram. Abram's, you know, I don't want to say he's complaining to God, but he's having a conversation with God about like, you know, hey, that's a great promise and all that, Lord. But, um, you know, all I have is this Eliezer of Damascus, and he's yeah. just a steward of my house. He's not even my son. And so we bump down here to uh, verse 13. Um, here I'll read 12 and 13. Uh, no, I'll read 13. It says, And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve I, uh, will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. So Abraham says, hey, how am I going to know that you're going to keep your promise? And, and what is happening to the children of Israel in Egypt is the very sign that God gave that his promise would be fulfilled. What promise? The promise of the land, the promise of the blessing, the promise that uh, his descendants would be like a, a multitude of nations and that they'd be more numerous than the stars of the sky and the sand. And there's the three faiths that come from Abraham. So here's the big question. Christians, Jews, and Muslims. Here's the big question. The big question is, is it relevant today? And if it is relevant today, is it relevant to us? What do you That's, think? What about Galatians 3.29? Well, Galatians 3.29 says, those who are in Christ... The same are the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise, right? So if you are in Christ and you um, you have Yeshua, you have a personal relationship, a salvation relationship with Yeshua, then you, my friend, become, through Yeshua, the seed of Abraham and an heir according to the promise. Well, guess what that means? That means that this promise of the land, of the blessing, of the descendants, yep. is for you. You know, and, and, and for Israel to be a nation today and the Jews coming back to the land is definitely a sign of the last days. No doubt. 
That is what is so cool. So we have, of course, in Exodus chapter 3, we're moving on here. Exodus chapter 3, God sends Moses to Egypt. I'll let Ryan take this portion over here and just uh, kind of go over it with you and just encourage you. So God sends Moses to Egypt. All right, so we're going to read verses 1 through 6 real quick. It says... You don't have to read those. This is going to the bullet points. Okay, yeah, yeah, we can do that. Yep. This is a lot in here. No, it's it's almost too much. Oy (laughs) vey. It's too much. It's too much. It's a buffet. I just can't take it. Yeah. So another name for uh, Ruel, the father of Zipporah, and the father-in-law of Moses is Jethro. And that came up earlier, uh, and that came up in our group, like, wait, is it Ruel or is it Jethro? And so another name for Ruel is Jethro. Um, And Moses, um, he was able to take over uh, as the shepherd of Jethro's flock. So he... he, um, Obviously, he was given Zipporah as, as his wife, and they had some sons. And um, the, the job that his father-in-law gave him uh, you know, to stay busy and receive his wages was to take care of the sheep. So he's on the backside of the desert. Um, a, lot of, a lot of interesting things happen in the backside of the desert. Have you ever been to the backside of the desert? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. If there's a burning bush, you're going to be looking at it. That's, that's right. For sure. That's right. And so what does he see? He sees the angel of the Lord in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. Um, and this is uh, the famous burning bush. And so God tells Moses to take off his shoes uh, because where he is standing is holy ground. And that, man. It's a theophany. It is. It's, it's, it's happening. That's right. He's talking to God himself. And so God wanted to send Moses to Pharaoh to bring the children uh, of Israel out of Egypt. Now, um, you know, this is an interesting. He's, he's given him a mission. He's, he's tagged him. And there's been a lot of debate over, um, over the years through rabbinical literature about why Moses, right? One of the character traits that he exhibits is that justice that you mentioned, right? Chesed, which is the characteristic of kindness, but then also that he turned and looked, right? And then he approached, right? That he so was very observant. He's very observant. He didn't ignore it. He's paying attention. So um, God gives uh, a new name uh, for himself that he says that he did not reveal himself to uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the name is I Am, which uh, the name I Am is very interesting. It gives the idea of timelessness, right? And it says uh, here, uh, God says to Moses, I Am is his name forever and a memorial for all generations. A memorial for all generations. And it's interesting, right? Because he is in every generation. And he is, and he was, and he is to come, right? He is. And so there's timelessness. It's timelessness, exactly. He's right. present. Well, and it's, it's cool. really what's, he's present. I am, or this is bad English. I is. Yeah, I is. That's great. Oh, I is. Oh, I is. Wow, the present God. Yeah. Well, and you know what's interesting is, um, you know, we were talking about this last night about how we all try to put God in a box. And that box for us is the space time continuum. And what we can sense, right? You know, sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. Those are the things that we can use in order to experience the world around us and to find evidence for God, right? And there's plenty of evidence out there. We're not going to go into that. But when we hit one of those walls of that box, that's where we're like, we have a decision to make. Do I have faith that God is beyond the box? Or... Am I going to try to come up with some Gnostic way of finding out everything about God and God is going to be inside of my box and I'm going to understand God and how he works He's and indescribable. all Exactly right. I mean, you think about the Greek mindset is that you're studying things linear, point A, point B. Right. It's, it's linear, the Greek mindset. The Hebrew mindset is cyclical. Correct. Uh, there are cycles. It's cyclical. That's why you can see a lot of things even in the scriptures where it says there's nothing new under the sun. You can find these templates 
that, that are scattered throughout. You know, so I am would be actually a, a present God, right? You want to continue yeah. on in that? So um, you, God is continuing to give Moses some instructions. He says that he wants him to gather all the elders of Israel and tell them that God was going to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, it sounds like the land flowing with milk and honey, it sounds like that's, that's your kind of place. You know, I do have some half and half milk in my coffee. Yeah. And then the honey in my tea at night. Yeah, there you go. Land of milk and honey is already inside of me. Uh, there you go. So um, uh, Moses was also told by God to tell Pharaoh that a three days journey was needed in order for the children of Israel to sacrifice to God. And of course, three is divine of the Lord, the yeah, number three. That's the right. Godhead. It's three. Yeah. And... Um, in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. Man. You know what? It, it, you know what it, this is so incredible, Ryan. Think about it. God does everything. We think, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to yeah, do that. Right. It's just like with the restoration, we gather the whole house of Israel. He's going to do it. He's going to do this thing, you know. And then, of course, uh, what's going to happen? They're going to have some favor? Well, yeah, it says that the children of Israel have in the sight of the Egyptians that would cause them to leave, uh, but not go empty-handed. They had favor. This is what's cool about this. Um, the Egyptians showed the Israelites favor, when, or, or God prophesies that they're going to get favor. You know, I once saw a sermon by T.D. Jakes. This is a long time ago, and he said, Favor ain't fair! And, you know, and he's doing his thing where he's wiping his forehead and everything, and he's stomping across the stage. Favor ain't fair. He must have said favor ain't fair like six times. But, um, you know, it's an interesting point because uh, by definition, the favor of God is not fair. Um, you know, we don't deserve it. Um, and right. why, why do we get this brand That's of favor and someone else doesn't, right? So when we get favor from God, we say thank you, and we operate in that favor, um, which is good. And so um, the God says that there's going to be three possessions that the Egyptians are going to give to the children of Israel, and those are jewels of silver, uh, of gold, and raiment, uh, clothing. And so... Um, that's that's chapter three. I mean, in a nutshell, is basically God telling Moses, he's giving him the rundown. Hey, this is what's about to go down. You're my guy. I need you to go and uh, deliver the children. And you know, way. it's interesting that you know, and and I've been praying this a lot. I said, God, I didn't choose you. You chose me. That's right. And I want to remind you of that because, boy, I tell you what, you chose me, and you're going to have to really help me to accomplish what you want to do through me, because I don't I don't have it figured out. And people are wanting answers. Well, what about this? What about, I'm like, you know, uh, you know, when, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, Moses did not have an itinerary. All right, gather your beach, your beach towels and your flip flops and your beach balls. We're going to the Red Sea. We're going <laughs> to, that's what we're doing tomorrow. And the following day, we're going to be hitting, you know, whatever, you know, it's not like well, that. Why do you need, why do, well, I guess you can it's, beach it's towels. It's a cloud yeah. by day. Yeah. Pillar of fire by night. He led them. But as we get into uh, chapter four, this is very good. God gives power to Moses. Power. Come on. God gives power to Moses. That was what my father used to do, you know. Do you feel the power? And uh, he needs it. So God's going to give Moses the power. And so, you know, he's trying to encourage Moses here. He says, you know, he's going to give him three signs to perform before the people of Israel in the event that they did not believe him. So he's like working with Moses. Okay. You can share with them what I told you, and that should be good enough. He says, I understand people. Everyone's given a measure of faith. Maybe they don't quite believe after being beat down for 400 years or whatever it is. Slavery mentality. He says, I'll tell you what, this is what you're going to do. First of all, you're going to turn a rod uh, into a serpent. 
You're going to tell them, hey, the Lord gave me this mandate. If they don't believe, do the whole rod into a serpent. And he's like, and if they don't believe what I told you and the rod turned into a serpent, I want you to put your hand into your bosom and pull it out. It'll become leprous. And then put it back in, pull it out, and it's healed. And if they don't believe that, I want you to, uh, you're going to turn the river into blood. Yeah, scoop some water out, pour it on dry land. And so so he, he not only told them, this is my mandate, this is what I want you to do, Moses. But in the event they don't believe, here are three signs. And I give you notice, three is divine of the Lord. Yeah, look at that. Two is a witness. Yeah. But there's a sign of the Godhead right there when you look at the three. And, and so Moses is taking all of this in, you know. And I'm sure he was a statesman to some degree in, in, in Moses' court, in Pharaoh's court. Moses was in Pharaoh's court. But this is what really got me. So all of a sudden now, Moses told the Lord that he was not a man of words and slow of speech and of a slow tongue. I'm not a good orator. I'm not a good speaker. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, right? Because of the excuses he made not to be the spokesman. And so the Lord gave it to Aaron, the Levite, his brother, for support. Yeah. You know, this is kind of like um, when you think of the story of Jonah. He was given a mandate, told to do something, and he went the opposite way. Now, here's the interesting thing, you know, and, and of course, the, the, the ship is going to sink. And Jonah realizes, you know what? Because of my stubbornness, these innocent people are going to die or be hurt. So he confessed, it's me, it's me. This is the reason why. And he confessed that I didn't do what God told me to do. And if anyone's listening to this podcast right now, praise God, listen to me. If God has spoken to you or given you something to do, do it. Don't fear man. Do it. Do what God has asked you to do. The simple things. And don't try to get him to explain it. Like if he says to go here or go there or call this person or call that person, be obedient and do it, right? Yeah, amen. And so Moses is feeling better about himself because, hey, I've got a brother. He's going to be the spokesman. I'll do it, Lord. I'll do it. And I thank you for my associate pastor, you know. Uh, and of course, when Moses asked Jethro, his father-in-law, to let him go back to his brethren in Egypt, this is what, of course, Jethro said the father-in-law. He replied, go in peace. Okay. So the Lord told Moses before leaving Midian that those who sought his life were now dead. You know, it's interesting. When Jacob had to meet up with Esau, he didn't know what he was getting That's into. right, yeah. So now all of a sudden, Moses is thinking, man, is this Pharaoh still alive? Yeah. Are they still after me? Is my picture up in the post office? <laughs> you know, I'm a fugitive. Right. Is my picture in the post office or a milk carton? Or whatever, are they going to really be, be looking for me? Yeah, but it's an old picture, you know? They won't be able That's to That's true. You. That's how it always is. Yeah. So he's letting them know, listen, they're dead. It's interesting, too. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Do you remember when... A public figure died in the New Testament, and Joseph and Mary could go back into the land. That's right. Herod. Herod. That's right. So something interesting. Now, sometimes you just got to get away from these people, these despots, these these dictators, you know. And, of course, uh, Moses returned back to Egypt with his wife and his sons. And, of course, uh, like I said, um, here's, here's one of the questions that we had for our discussion. Uh, when Moses found out he was not Egyptian... But a Hebrew, it changed his whole life. So, Ryan, how has your life been changed since you have found out you are part of the Commonwealth of Israel? And I use the reference, Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 13. And, of course, we know the grafting in process of the wild branches in Romans 10, 17. So just real quickly here, Ryan, give a little quick testimony. When you found out that you were grafted into the olive tree, when you found out that you were truly Israel, Grafted into the commonwealth of Israel, a wild branch. 
How did that change your life? Well, I think, you know, it's funny, verse 17 actually says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And one of the first things that I did when I came into and the where's that at? movement, that's chapter 10, verse 17 of Romans. Excellent. So when I came into this movement, I, it, it rocked my world because when you start um, reading the word of God for yourself, um, it messes you up a little bit. You know what I mean? All the things that you thought, right? Uh, I think Tim Hutchins... Why aren't we doing this? Right. Was it? Why aren't we doing that? I think Tim Hutchins last night was talking about how you know he had all these things that when he came into Hebrew Roots, because he started reading his Bible for himself, he had to put all these things that he believed up on the shelf, and then he'd slowly take them down and he'd examine each one. Like, okay, well, salvation, that's one I can keep. I know this one, right? This one's good. I can I can look in the scriptures and, and find that. All right, well, water baptism and, and uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and he talked about all those things. But, you know... When I started reading the Bible for myself, I learned pretty quickly the relevance of Torah just from a scriptural standpoint. But it wasn't until I got these verses here, and this is 11 through 13 of Ephesians. I'm going to read these to you, and I'll tell you what happened to me. You know, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And verse 19 says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. So all of a sudden, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's who I am. When you when you are given the covenant as part of your identity, all of a sudden, it just changes the way you look at it. And it, it stops being this words on a page, and it becomes a lifestyle. You know, uh, you know let's, I was just your average, you know, Christian American person, right? So before um, I knew I was part of the Commonwealth of Israel, I, I looked like I was, I, you know, talked like I was, I um, ate like I was. Now, right, I don't eat pork and shellfish, right? I keep the, the dietary laws to the best of my ability, right? Understanding clean and unclean. But that, the dietary commands are not just about diet, right? It's about clean and unclean. It's about understanding clean and unclean in your life. What are you watching? What are you reading? Who are you associating with? You know? That's good. And then, and on top of that, it's, um, it's, you know, uh, the way that I celebrate holidays is completely different now, right? I mean, there's all kinds of things that rock my whole world and all in a good way. And I would never go back. That's awesome. And, and just a little correction here. You know, it's interesting. On the outline, it says Romans ten seventeen, which says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I so used like, it though. So it you, worked. I know, but, but what I'm saying, <laughs> here you are, you read the Bible yeah. and your faith grows. Amen. Why aren't I doing these things? So I got to, I'm going to put it in a little verse in there as well, because here's the thing. In Romans eleven seventeen, it says, and if some of the branches be broken off and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree. So it, it all works together. And, you know, we're all given a measure of faith and faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So once again, what is the shield of faith? It's able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. Yeah. So I can't encourage you enough to read your Bible. Faith doesn't come by social media. It doesn't come by news sources or anything like that. So as this story develops now, so here we have God's people. He has a reluctant leader in Moses who he gives Aaron to come alongside him to help him. He gives him a format. He gives him a mandate. And all this is happening. And now all of a sudden, 
What was God going to do to Pharaoh's heart when God told Moses to do wonders before him? Harden his heart. Yeah. Well, it's Hazak, right? Strengthen his heart. Strengthen his resolve to... Which is, which is already there. Give him boldness. You know, it's kind of like... It's like anything else, you know, you, you know... You just won't give in. You yeah. just won't give in. Stubbornness. And uh, and this is a great question uh, as we as we move on here. Uh, what two things was Moses to say to Pharaoh that the children of Israel were to God? Uh, that they were his son, his firstborn. Among all the nations, see? Amen to that. His son and his firstborn. Come on. Why don't you read uh, Hosea 11.1, 1, oh, Ryan? Don't get me started. Hosea 11.1. You know, it's funny, too. I was just reading in another section about uh, um, quoting quoting Moses talking about, you know, that, that uh, I will cause the people to be um, confounded or stumbled right. you know, from a people that were not a people, right? It's after Daniel. It is. I got it right here. I just, you got it. I'm just talking and moving I've got at the, the same uh, time. Here we go. 11.1. 11.1. When Israel was a child, then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Wow. Now, this is what's interesting. Now go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 15. Matthew 2, 15. So we're talking about firstborn. We're talking about Israel. Is that in the this New, is his New son. Testament? Matthew. <laughs> Matthew 2, 15 says, And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Wow. Who's the only begotten son? Of God. Yeshua. Yeshua. Jesus. He is the firstborn, you know. And so why did God want Pharaoh to let his son go, Ryan? Uh, well, be so that he could serve him and worship him in the desert. You know, it's interesting as you look at different names or titles, uh, of course, even the name church or the word church means called out ones. It's the Greek word. It's number 1577 in the Strong's Concordance, Ecclesia. Ecclesia. Now, Ryan, if you could read Acts 7.38, the question is, was the church in the wilderness? Think about that. Doing sword drills today, baby. Acts 7.38. All right. It says, This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him. What? In the the Mount Sinai. What? Jesus was at Mount Sinai. He is the rock that followed him in the the wilderness. The the church was in the wilderness? What? Well, that'll mess up your theology. Check that out. So remember, church isn't just some kind of separate entity. God didn't just create the church in the New Testament. It's always been his children. That's right. It's all always been about his children. And so you know, as we move on to the storyline, if Pharaoh would not let God's son go, he was going to slay Pharaoh's firstborn son. Yikes. Why? Because the firstborn belonged to God. Remember that. I'm a firstborn. Uh, my wife's a firstborn. My mother-in-law's a firstborn. My son Josiah's a firstborn. There's there's a man, there's, there's a responsibility here for that. And he's like, hey, if you don't give me that firstborn, I'm going to slay yours because he can because the firstborn belong to the Lord, even in livestock. Uh, so find that firstborn goat. Oh, yeah. Give it some credit. Now, to stop the Lord from killing Moses, how the story's developing now, Zipporah, his wife, cut off the foreskin of her son. So somewhere along the lines, uh, Moses did not uh, keep the Abrahamic covenant to that degree. Now, we know that that's the first covenant. It is unconditional. But the sign of the Abrahamic covenant is circumcision. So I guess he was dragging his feet, wasn't paying attention, but how could you go into the Mosaic Covenant without the Abrahamic Covenant, without the sign of that on the foreskin of the males? So that was interesting. So Zabora stepped in, you know, because remember, 
Wisdom is a she. That's right. Write that down. Wisdom is a she. Are you saying we should all listen to our wives? We should listen to our wives. Mm-hmm. Now, now Potiphar didn't, or not Potiphar, but he did. He, he kind of threw her off. She, she was a, an accuser. But I was thinking of Pilate's wife. Yes. Says, I had a dream about this man. Yeah. You know, don't don't bring him any harm. Uh, interesting thing. Um so as this actually story develops here, uh, thank God for Zipporah for an obedient wife, because actually the Lord was going to kill Moses. This was a big deal to God. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's kind of funny. Like, don't put off, you know, tomorrow what you can do today. Yeah. You know, and, and I learned that lesson a long time ago. Uh, and so thank God for Zipporah. Thank God for that. The Lord sent Aaron into the wilderness to meet Moses in the Mount of God, and when they met, Aaron kissed Moses. Here's here's his. His younger uh, or older brother kissing the, the younger brother Moses, Aaron and, and Moses together. So now Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron was the spokesman. They also did all the signs in the sight of the people. The people believed and when, of course, uh, and when they knew that the Lord looked upon their affliction, boy, they bowed their heads in worship. Yeah, that's cool. So he it's does like that the song signs. by uh, what uh, for, for King and Country, I guess it's they, they have this song, God Only Knows. Yeah. It's a powerful song. It is very song. God only very knows, powerful. and so so. Any, any thoughts on that, Ryan? Well, just that it's it's cool that um, that the preparation here was. You know, imagine if Moses went straight to Pharaoh with before going to the people of Israel, and and then he gets you know Pharaoh agrees by chance to let them go, and then he goes to the people of Israel, and they're like, mm, "Nah, we're good." You know, so he gives them these signs so that he can go to the children of Israel first. And show them that he is called to them to bring them out of Egypt, and so that, I thought that was it's an cool. ambassador, right? You know, we how will they know unless they're sent, right? So unless you know, unless God uses Beit what else is He going to do? Yeah. In order to restore and gather the whole house of Israel, in order for uh, Judah to come to us and, and acknowledge us and recognize us, and we recognize them, how will this ever be done? Unless we have a place to do it in, you know. Yeah. And I think this is interesting. And even even Yeshua says, when you go out, go by twos. Because two is better than one, you know. And as we get into, of course, this incredible next chapter, chapter five, uh, now it's, oh, here we go. They're going into the inner court. It's Moses and Aaron meet Pharaoh. Moses and Aaron meet Pharaoh. And so we have in Exodus chapter five, verse one, and afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Let my That's interesting. people go. You know, and going back to why did God want Pharaoh to let his son go uh, to serve him? You know, God brought you out to bring you in. That's right. He didn't bring you out to do your own thing. No, he did not. And think about that. So remember the big picture. You know, the Greek mindset is to study a brick. The Hebrew mindset is to study the wall. The picture, the big picture. So, so think about that. Uh, Pharaoh did not know the God of Israel. Well, he knew a lot of gods. Yeah. Matter of fact, as we get into the plagues, we're going to find out that each one was going after a, uh, an Egyptian god yep. uh, personally. So Moses and Aaron told Pharaoh that they needed to go for a three days journey into the desert to sacrifice to the Lord their God, lest he fall upon them with pestilence or with sword. Soon certain animals were sacred to them, like calves. You can't just offer up calves among the Egyptians. Interesting. They worship them. Huh. So we got to get them out, get them out, and get them away from the Egyptian culture. That's, that's good, isn't it? That's a good word. Um, think about it. Now, this is where it gets to be very interesting. They're like, listen, if we don't do this, we're going to get pestilence or we're going to get the sword. So like, this is, this is what's going on here. 
He's going to do all this for us. This is the least we can do for him is to return. If not, we're going to go ahead and pay the price like everybody else. Oh, you want to do your own thing? Okay, well, here's some pestilence or a sword. And that's what we can see happens all the time throughout history, biblical history. We'll see pestilence or a sword. And of course, what happens? Oh boy, now Pharaoh's like, oh really? He's going to make it harder on the children of Israel after meeting with Moses and Aaron in regards to letting the people go. He's going to make it so hard on them. He says, listen, make them gather their own straw to make bricks. And of course, the children of Israel had to make the same amount of bricks, even though they had to search and find their own straw. And now the officers of the children of Israel, it's a chain reaction, complained to Pharaoh about being beaten by the taskmasters because they were not fulfilling their tasks. You know, so this is hierarchy. This is the upper echelon. This is a chain of command here. It's just, it's just hitting everybody. And of course, you know, the reason why that Pharaoh was harsh with the children, the reason why he was harsh with them is because they wanted to leave Egypt to sacrifice to God. Yeah. He's like, how am I going to get like, you know, Lithia Pinecrest done on here? <laughs> how, how are those two lanes going to be put in? That's right. How are my storehouses going to be built? All right. You know, I got a building program here. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm doing something. Every president wants their own library. Mm, that's right. So he's like, you know, man, well, who's going to do the labor? You know, it's kind of like in Saudi Arabia, it's been told that it's it's mostly done by foreigners. And the Saudi Arabians just live a good life and, and or whatever. But it's weird how if you go back and look at how many foreigners some countries bring in to do all the labor and do all the work. Yeah. Because they want the easy life. What if all those foreigners decided to check out? Well, who's going to pick up the trash? Who's going to clean the bathrooms, you know? Right. So once again, he's like, hey, they're going to leave each the sacrifice to God. We're not going to have any kind of, you know, we're not going to get anything done around here. And the officers of the children of Israel blame Moses and Aaron for their affliction. Here we go, the blame game. God did not ignore Moses when he cried out on behalf of the people. He did not uh, ignore Moses when he cried out on behalf of the people. And that's the thing I want to bring out about Moses in, in, as we close out this particular Torah portion. You're going to see that he not only loved justice, but Moses was an intercessor. He really put up with the people and he prayed. I should get a poster up of Moses in my office. I have a little Moses figurine I think I might need to bring out now. But anyway, Moses is the man. What a great leader. But in Exodus chapter 6, verse 1, here's the last verse in this particular Torah portion, Shemot names. It says, Then the Lord said it to Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. Think about this, everybody. And this is just one of my thoughts based upon a consensus of the group that we did last night in our small group Torah study is this. God has got a plan, and he is going to fulfill that plan come, come hell or high water. That's right. He's going to fulfill that plan. Just like Mordecai told Esther, if you don't do this, it's going to come some other way. That's right. So when I say over this podcast to all of you listening that we believe in the restoration, the regathering of the whole house of Israel, we want to be players. We want to be a part. We wouldn't have as many listens from Gibraltar as we do unless we sent this message out. That's right. That God wants to get the message out. Christians with Torah. There's going to be an awakening, which is already happening among Christianity, among the evangelicals, that you should respect Judaism, love the Jewish people, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, practice your faith in the Lord. Amen. But we're going to come alongside the Jewish people, and we're going to say, we're for the Jewish people and not on my watch. We're yeah. not going to idly sit by. I'm going to let Ryan close it out. God bless all of you. And once again, uh, God's will is coming to pass. Don't miss God's will. Amen. So 
Um, things that uh, things that we talk about at the end, we always give us you know your two points that you learned as a consensus of the group. And one of the points that we came up with last night was that things that God wants to protect go in arcs. Just like uh, Noah's Ark. Ooh, that's good. Moses was put in an ark of bulrushes, right? That's awesome. Um, to protect him. And then the Ark of the Covenant. It had what inside of it? The Covenant. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's important to, to note that uh, if you want to protect something, you put it in an ark. We have an ark here for our Torah scroll. That, uh, that's right. We place the Torah scroll in every... every and then I have a service. nice cabinet for it to go in in my living room, which that's is right. pretty outstanding. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. That's exciting stuff. So... Um, the other thing that I, I got out of this is, um, you know, pay attention. You know, when we mentioned earlier that uh, that Moses uh, was was you know one of the characteristics was that he was very observant. Uh, you want to notice what is what's God doing? What does He do? How can you get involved and how can you jump on board with what He's doing? Um, I think that that you know if we can all pay attention and, and use the Holy Spirit to to guide us in the direction that God is moving, then we get to be. Uh, a part, and that we get to play a role in the restoration and the regathering of the whole house of Israel. So, oh man, praise God, bless you guys. Um, that concludes the Torah portion Shemot, and uh, which means names, the beginning of Exodus. We are moving right along next week. I believe we might even get into some plagues. So uh, uh, if you guys have any questions or you need anything, go ahead and send me an email at ryan at twopraise.net, ryan at twopraise.net. And uh, you can live stream our services every Shabbat at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time uh, every Saturday. And uh, we, um, you can go on uh, either our website at twopraise.net, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, wherever you, uh, wherever you do your viewing. And, and then if you want to call the office for any resources or anything, 813-654-2222. Bless you guys. Have a great week.